Section 67 of Old Rail Fence Corners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schempf. Old Rail Fence Corners, edited by Lucy Leavenworth Wilder Morris. Captain Richard Summers Chapter, St. Peter, Miss Emily Brown. Mrs. Mary B. Ayton. When the treaty was made at Mendota in 1851, the Indians who ceded the land gave up their settlement at Kaposia, South St. Paul, leaving behind them their dead buried on the hill, and the land endeared to them by association. With them, when they moved westward to Yellow Medicine, went their faithful missionary and teacher, Dr. Thomas Williamson. That same year his sister, familiarly known as Aunt Jane, made a visit to her old hometown in Ohio, where I lived and her interesting accounts of her experiences so filled me with missionary zeal that i went west with her as a teacher to the indians with aunt jane i landed at kaposia and after a short rest we began the overland journey to yellow medicine the last night of our journey two of our horses strayed away and in the morning the ox teams with the freight and us women went on leaving dr williamson to search for the runaways when we rode down into the valley we saw ahead of us the missing horses we two women volunteered to go back and tell dr williamson and the rest of the party went on we found the doctor and to save us fatigue he suggested that we take a short cut across country to the agency while he followed the road to rejoin the travelers somehow we failed to follow directions and traveled all the rest of the day coming at night to a river here on the bank we decided to rest in the distance we could see a prairie fire gradually eating its way towards the river but we felt safe near the water and lay down to sleep just after we fell asleep i was awakened by a loud call and i realized the joy of knowing that we were found the men who had been sent in search of us were calling in hopes that we would answer and we continued our journey without further incident one morning in the spring of eighteen fifty one our little mission house at kaposia was full of bustle and confusion for we were busy preparing for an Indian wedding. The prospective bride was a pretty Sioux maiden, and her fiancé was a white trader. Everything was in readiness for the ceremony, but no groom appeared. The hours wore on, the bride wept, but no news of the groom came until late in the afternoon. A rumor reached us that he was celebrating the occasion by a drunken rebel, and was not in condition to take his part in the ceremony. A white mother would have wept over daughter's grief, but not this Indian mother. When told that the ceremony must be postponed, she replied with stoical Indian patience, It is well. I like his white skin, but I hate his drunken ways. Dr. A.C. Daniels When I was agency physician at Lackey Parle, I often saw the humorous side of Indian life. One day when the Indians had received their government allowance, a party of them too freely indulged their appetites for liquor, and one, a big brave, who had adopted the patriotic name of George Washington, led a band of Indians to the home of the Catholic sisters and demanded food. The sisters saw the Indians' condition, barred the door, and told the braves to go away. George, however, was insistent in his demands, and finally put his giant strength against the door, and splintered the upper part. He had put his head into the opening and was about to crawl through it when one of the sisters seized a rolling pin and rained sturdy blows upon his head and shoulders. He raised a yell that brought me to the spot just in time to see a funny sight. Just as George was about to beat a retreat, 
his squaw came running up and began to belabor him from the rear while the nun continued the assault there he was with part of his body in the house and part of it out crying out in a manner most unseemly for an indian brave when the women desisted he was both sober and repentant in the early days the indian agent at lackey parle hoisted the american flag each morning over the agency during a serious drought the indians conceived the idea that the great spirit was displeased at the sight of the flag and begged the agent to take it down the patriotic agent tried to reason with them but to no avail so one afternoon he took the flag down for a time in a little while a black cloud appeared and then a heavy downpour of rain followed the indians as you know were very superstitious and they were firmly convinced that the flag was the true barometer so the agent had to be cautious in his display of the flag mr z s galt one morning as i rode a horse down to the minnesota river to water it i noticed a stolid-looking indian with a gun by his side sitting on a boulder by the river bank just as my horse began to drink the indian raised his gun and fired the horse kicked up his heels and i promptly became a baptist by immersion i can still show you the boulder but you will have to imagine the indian when i was a small boy a party of sioux indians returned to travers from an attack upon the chippewas at shakopee and proceeded to celebrate the event with a scalp dance this dance and the whoops of the indians attracted spectators from traverse and st peter and with boyish curiosity i was as near as possible to the dancers suddenly i spied one brave dancing about with a skunk skin tied to his heel and trailing on the ground behind him obeying a mischievous impulse i jumped upon the trailing skin and stopped the wild dancer the savage wheeled and quickly raised his tomahawk and was ready to strike but when he saw a white boy he merely kicked me out of the ring and kept on with the dance mr j c bryant when governor mcgill came to st peter as a young man he was obliged to practice strict economy to make both ends meet the revenue he derived from teaching was so very meager that he had to do without some of what we regard as actual necessities late in the fall he was passing jack lamberton's store when the warm-hearted proprietor noticed that the schoolmaster wore no overcoat he guessed the reason but he asked mr mcgill why he wore no overcoat well i haven't one and i'm not able to buy one yet he replied with sturdy honesty just come right in and help yourself to one and pay for it when you can said mr lamberton with characteristic generosity this kindness was a bond that made the two men friends for life although later they were often arrayed against each other politically when certain men in the state were trying to steal the capital from st peter for st paul captain dodd is said to have traveled on foot from st peter to st paul between sunrise and sunset in the interests of st peter this feat would seem to me a physical impossibility but it was a story current when i was a boy in st peter it is a matter of history too that all the attempts to save the capital were futile and the indomitable captain dodd had his long walk in vain captain dodd was considerable of a mimic and an actor during a political campaign he took the platform against a certain tom corwin of ohio who was considered a great political orator on one occasion corwin was the first speaker and to emphasize his speech he danced about on stage gesticulated freely and made a great impression when mr dodd's turn came to speak he arose and without a word gravely gave a pantomimic reproduction of the orator's acts and gestures 
then he sat down amid roars of laughter that completely spoiled the effect of his opponent's speech mrs nancy keithley bean when edward eggleston the author of the hoosier schoolmaster was obliged to come west for his health he was for a number of years a resident of traverse and st peter here on weekdays he engaged in the humble occupation of soap making and on sundays he went out to the country communities to preach the gospel his church was often the one room of some farmer's log cabin and he missed the pulpit upon which to pound to emphasize the points in his sermon in the good orthodox style of the exhorter one sunday early in his ministry he came to our home near cleveland to preach and that day he strongly felt the need of a pulpit why can't you make me a pulpit he asked my father after the service i can and i will before you come again father replied father went to work and from the trunk of a tree he hewed out a rough pulpit the young preacher exhorted with such fervor from his new pulpit that i was the first convert of the man who afterwards became famous in the fall of that same year the annual methodist conference was held at winona and mr eggleston prepared to go before he went my father met him and asked him whether he was going to the conference yes was the reply i am going now father knew that money was scarce and that mr eggleston's preaching and soap making yielded him little revenue so he went to one of the brethren a certain mr arter who had recently come from the east bringing with him gold coin and told of mr eggleston's desire to go to winona mr arter was interested and offered mr eggleston five dollars to help defray the expense of his trip but was met with a polite but none the less firm refusal i shall not need money said mr eggleston i can walk part of the way someone will give me a lift now and then and the brethren will give me food and lodging when i require it however mr arter insisted that he should take the gold and finally he prevailed but mr eggleston started on foot for the conference upon his return he gave the gold to its original owner for with sturdy pioneer independence he had travelled the distance to winona on foot except for an occasional lift from some traveller driving a slow ox team mrs mary davis fenton one summer morning in eighteen fifty two a man on horseback rode rapidly up to the door of our farmhouse shouted the news of the uprising of the indians and then rode on to warn others of the danger we hastily gathered together a few necessary articles and fled to st peter when we returned home after the danger was over we found that our house had been looted and father discovered that his pet razor had disappeared i will never shave again he declared until the man who stole my razor brings it back naturally the thief failed to return and to the day of his death in nineteen eleven father wore his patriarchal beard and kept his vow never to shave again end of section sixty seven